BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Today is the day you will lose fat. Come see Dr. T at NJ Diet. Easiest diet I've ever done. It's changed my life. Come see Dr. T. Using blood work and DNA testing. 1-855-5-NJ-DIET and njdiet.com. Change your life in only 40 days with NJ Diet. My next guest is from Lawrence, Massachusetts, and has been killing it since at least 2006, but obviously prior to that as well. He's a straight lyricist. His name is Terminology, and I want to welcome him to the Library of Terminica. Thanks for joining me, man. Peace. Thanks for having me. So, you know, Rex is from Lawrence, uh, Crumb Snatcher, yourself. Um, What is, for those who know, what was the hip-hop scene like in Lawrence, uh, Massachusetts, when you were coming up? Uh, Was there... Besides the MCs that I just kind of, was there like an MC MC that you kind of looked up to or you, you know wanted to imitate, I guess, that was from there or was that not heard of yet? Yeah, I would say my personal experience, Crumb Snatcher was the one that was making the most noise and, and was the most successful um, in my era. A little bit older than me was Rex, who was also making noise uh, independently and... Um, Rest in Peace is Scientific was also a name that, that we heard often for, like, making noise out of the city, you know, out of Lawrence, going to Boston, going to New York, you know, moving around. So those were kind of, like, three of the people that inspired me. Um, but Crumb the most because Crumb was, like, he was, you know, down with DJ Premier. He was part of the Gangstar Foundation. Um, he was, like, getting hip-hop quotables in the source. You know, he just made it feel like, I could do it. And I see, you know, the guy you see at the barbershop over there, yeah, he's also in the game. He made it. So that was kind of, besides those three three cats right there, there was kind of like no hope. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? There was really no scene. And um, this is speaking from a 14-year-old terminology's perspective. I'm at the barbershop already rhyming when I'm 14. Um, just kind of hoping these guys will pull up so I could rap for them and, you know, and see where it would go. Did you have, as a 14-year-old terminology at the barbershop did you have that the rhyme that you wanted ready or yeah was i was it? ready man i had a couple but but you know back then it was it was a lot it was about freestyling off the top you know it was like you know how could you impress them you know whatever type of sneakers he got on whatever type of people are around you shout them out put it in the rhyme so so so, so with that scene how how do you how do you how do you develop yourself? I mean, are you is there a sounding board that you have? Is it just kind of you knowing your full potential and continuously practicing? It's all practice, man. Because I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't have a mentor. 
Um, my biggest mentor was just being a fan of hip hop. It was like every Tuesday when the music would come out, I would go purchase it. I already had a job when I was 14. I, was, I already had been working. So I spent most of my money that I made at my job on music. I would go every Tuesday and buy all the new projects. Um, I believe I started doing that in like 95. Like around, around like 94, 95, I started really. I mean, I was buying tapes already in, like, 92. Even though I couldn't, I would give money to my mom's boyfriend. He would buy them or whatever the case. But um, I started, like, my own real CD collection and, and stuff in, in the early 90s. And I just studied all that. Wu-Tang, um, you know, Fat Joe, Cypress Hill, Snoop Dogg, all that. I studied that stuff so much to the point where it was like I, emula I emulated them enough where I kind of created my own style. We, I know in other interviews you, you just mentioned Fat Joe, but you've talked about Fat Joe, Big Pun, and the importance yeah. of them as Latino artists uh, right. in hip hop. Um, what when you first got in? How how hard was it for a Latino artist to kind of break through? You know, like yeah. I, I mean, like a white artist. You talk to like I remember years ago in college, I would talk to um, I talked to. Jurassic Five, Ben, I know, and and Cut Chemist, and we were just kind of talking about how extra grimy a white artist has to be, right? In order yeah, to so kind of make any props. Yeah. Is that the same with Latino artists when you yeah. first came out? I mean, it it is, it isn't, it ain't. It's like you know, I think hip hop culture um, is looked at as black music, or was looked at as black music in that time. I think now it's so um, it's it's changed. You know what I'm saying? You turn on the radio and you might hear 10 white rappers in a row now mm. and that was not the case when i was coming up you know what i mean it, 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 that wasn't the case and um also you might turn on the radio now and hear five latin records in a row you'll hear cardi b you'll hear you know right. all these people so it's like that wasn't the case either um so yeah it was it was it was kind of a struggle you know what i'm saying in the beginning you had to prove yourself a little harder and i'm white and spanish too i'm 50 percent french and 50 percent puerto rican um, so it was like people didn't know what to take of me. They're like, is he white? Is he Latin? Um, can he rhyme? Is he just another, you know, he looks different than everybody. Uh, so, yeah, it was a struggle. Now I feel like people don't have that struggle. Hip hop is so universal. Mm -hmm. It really don't matter how you look. You can have rainbow hair. You can have tats on your face. You could do whatever. But when I was coming up, you had to look a certain way. You had to like, it was real militant, you know, and Lawrence was a real grimy, like dirty place. So you just really had to just be just grimy in the street you know to even to even be there so how'd you get from lawrence to new york i mean did you go through because i know boston boston has a hip-hop scene yeah you know did you go through boston i went through the boston hip-hop scene i didn't live there um when i was going through the boston hip-hop scene i was living in haverhill which is uh the city next door to lawrence and um me and us uh, my clique st we were just trying to get a name and um, getting out of our city was one of the biggest, like, when, you know, just getting props out of our city was like one of the biggest things on our checklist. So we would go to Boston and spit for Ed OG. We would, um, you know, spit for Big Shug or Guru, you know, whoever, whoever esoteric, you know, whoever was like putting out records and was dope. We would go there and open for them and like earn our stripes so we you know me and my man easy money we did that for a few years until i felt as if um we were making a lot of noise in the city and it was like we needed to, to spread out and then we in 2004 we started making our way over here to new york and doing shows out here and um static excuse me i just moved out here so static was like uh like your term if you really want to make it it's not going to happen sitting in Haverhill. like you're gonna have to move to new york and 
and get out here and grind, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So he really put the battery in my back and, like, convinced me to move out here. So a couple years later, in 2007, I ended up following his lead and moving to the Bronx. So prior to that, you were just commuting back and forth from... Yeah, every week I would take the bus because um, I, I had a... Um, I had to go back every Sunday because of a court order to see my daughter. So I had to go back, you know. Yeah. Obviously, I wanted to see her, so I would go back regardless, but I had to go back. So I would come out here, you know, for two, three days, go to the studio, do radio, X, Y, Z, then get back on the bus, go back to Haverhill, you know, do what I got to do, see the kid, try to get my money up, come back to New York. And, you know, things kind of haven't changed on that aspect, except for now I drive myself right. instead of taking the bus. <laughs> Was there a, uh, is there a scariest or funny moment that you ever had on the Fung Wild bus going from Boston to New York? Man, the Fung Wild bus, man. That was, you know, I'm from Lawrence, so we have like, we're fortunate enough to have the Spanish bus. I don't know if you know about that, but it's like this bus where you pay $40 and they put you on a van with a bunch of people and bring you door to door. Wow. Okay. Whereas like the Fung Wild bus, it's only $15, but you got to get a ride from Lawrence to Boston. You got to sit there, wait, get on the bus and see so you kind of more on their time. You know, so if you had the luxury to have the 40 bucks, you could get on the Spanish bus, you know. <laughs> so I was more a Spanish bus fan, but I definitely took the fun while a million times. And um, I can't really pinpoint, like, one one experience, but I know my biggest song, Watch How It Go Down, I wrote the second verse on the fun while bus. Shit, wow, really? Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, when did you know you're going, you know, you're going from um, Massachusetts to New York... <clears throat> You make the move officially to New York. Yeah. When did you know, or maybe in prior to this, but when did you know that you, like, was there a lyric that you wrote that kind of said, all right, I'm lyrically gifted. Yeah. This is something I have to, this is something I'm going to pursue and I'm going to make. I feel like that happened more as a kid. Like, I remember having a conversation with my mom when I was like 15 and I'm like, I don't, like, I don't know why you want me to go to school. I'm not going to use this. There's 0% chance I'm going to college. I'm never going to have a job. I'm just going to be a rapper. So, like, it's either that or I don't want to live. Right. You know what I mean? So she was kind of, hey, you know, that's cool, but that might not work out. So you should, you know, try to go to school or whatever. And the whole time I was in, you know, high school, I just, I knew it. I had my headphones on. I'm writing rhymes. I wasn't paying attention. I was like, I'm not going to need none of this shit, you know. So I like, you know, to keep it real, I've, I've, I've known since I was 15 that this was what it was going to be. Do you know the first thing you penned that kind of... I can't remember the first rhyme I wrote that made me say, you know what, I'm, I got it. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Because I was writing rhymes since I was nine and um, making demos already on my little tapes when I'm like 12, 13, 14. Um, so, you know, I felt like, I felt like I've, been, I've been nice. But I know like around 15, 16 when I really started like sharpening the sword because I met Easy Money and Artisan and Snuck and the rest of the clique where we were like, we were all sharp and we were all kind of battling see who was the nicest so it was just that era when i when i really believed in myself in my in my late teens um and you've, you've spoken about this before but you, you linked up with premiere pretty early on in yeah. your career um how did that it seems like that's a connection that would be really hard to make yeah uh, if you're a young mc coming out now how did that happen and were you like just shooting him demos did you yeah. just like find him on the street and spit for him one day or nah it wasn't that easy <laughs> um, it was it was a lot more work than that. Uh, Crumb Snatcher had brought me to the same Team No Games video shoot, the, the Gangstar video shoot, and um, I had linked with Guru, and I played him one of my demos in the car, 
And he liked me, took a liking to me, and he kind of put in a good word to his circle that he thought I was dope. Crumb brought me to Prem, introduced me to Prem. I took a photo with him. I spit for them. But that was cool, but it wasn't, it was like, yeah, so what, you know? Mm. Um, so I just kept going to different events where he was at, try to show up. Hey, remember me? Remember me? Giving him CDs, vinyls. And then um, Static was, uh, you know, he got cool with Premier first. So he was like, kept telling Prem, like, yo, you, you know, you should mess with T. You should. So eventually uh, Static gave him one of my records and he began spinning the record and that's when i was like okay this is a possibility mm -hmm. he likes me enough that he played my record it's a possibility to get the beat and uh static was in the lab with him one day he called me he's like yo Tom, uh prem got a beat here you want it you know and uh like yo, if you want it it's yours so they played it for me over the phone i was like hell yeah i want it <laughs> and psh, man i was watch how it go down my whole my life changed after that moment you know did you write were you were you already writing a for a premiere beat that you were hoping to come, or nah, did you wait? Did you I mean imagine Jake's years? Did you wait for that? Now nah, when I got the beat, um, I was so scared of it. It took me like almost like thirty days to write it. You know, mm. I remember Static said, "Yo, you ready? You done? What's up?" He's calling me. I'm like, "Yo, it's gonna take a little time." You know what I mean? Because it was it was scary. You know, I felt like it would make or break my life, and it did. I had to give it my all, and um pour my soul out was that the sorry was that the most pressure you ever felt writing definitely that was the most pressure i've ever felt writing this song for sure um you know I, I watch how it go down it you know it gave you notoriety um i know the stories that major labels were you know knocking at your door pretty yeah, much i had a bunch of uh, label meetings label meetings they wanted you to do more pop ish music yeah they wanted me to do spanish music they wanted me to do pop music they wanted me to do a bunch of like unrealistic things you know and but then when you read uh so spin has a bio and you read term focused on collecting beats from easy moby large professor and pete rock what is uh, collecting beats i mean does that mean what does that mean um well for me I, what i set out to do was as soon as i got my deal i wanted to make an album that was like elmatic that was like my plan i'm like if i could try to get like the same producer lineup you know among some other greats then uh then that was my idea and um, I, man, I was on a mission that, that 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 took me like about about four years to gather all those beats. You know what I mean? We're talking like the greatest producers of all time, and every single person, you know, every single beat is like a nice down payment on a nice car. Right. You know, every yeah. beat, like or or even a car. You know, some of the beats cost a car, a whole car. So it was um, it was hard to get to get all those producers um on board and. And to pick the right beat and to come up with the money, um, so it was a mission, but it was all worth it because in the end, I did something amazing, you know, and I set off what what would be the rest of my career. Did you, did you know the? So the, I mean, the album is um, politics as usual, right? Yeah. Uh, did you know? Did you have tracks written already for that, or what? I mean, when did you start? writing like i guess the concept behind politics as usual i can't remember when i made up the concept um but i know that the first two songs i had was uh please don't go from knots and then uh watch how it go down was the next and then everything just kind of fell into place after that it was like you know what was your wish list i, I you know i would tell uh dan green who was my manager at the time i would tell nature sounds who was the label a little bit later um, I would tell Static, who was friends with certain people, like uh, Static helped me get the Alchemist beat. Um, you know, Nature Sounds helped me get 
the uh, the Havoc beat. You know what I mean? Uh, Pete Rock. You know, I reached out to him myself. I texted him. He hit me right back. So it was just like uh, gathering all those beats w was a mission, but collectively, we, you know, me and the team did it. Uh, on the track, this is hip hop. You, uh, I'm just gonna skip around. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have uh, you know, this gangstar. This is real hip hop. Karis One. This is real hip hop. Rockham. Public Enemy. Kuji Rap. Polo and Polo. Tropical Quest. Big Daddy King. And OG. Uh, on. Oh, from the, what's the I guess define what is real hip hop here, and do you think the definition of quote unquote real hip hop has changed throughout your experience? Yeah, um, well, I think that has a lot to do with the sound. I think when the sound changed, then that led to like the morals in hip hop changing. You know, you always had you always had rap that didn't make sense, but um, you know, in the earlier eras, that the rap had such a consciousness to it, so. It really lost its identity along the way, and um, and you know, unfortunately, it's like rap is rap, but then hip hop is hip hop. So, mm. you know, some of the names that I mentioned in that song, which I wrote in two thousand four, ironically, fifteen years ago, um, it, it it still applies right now. I still feel the same way mm. that I felt in two thousand four. You've you know, you not just worked with great producers, but you've opened for great artists as well. I mean, I mentioned Fat Joe, but 50 Cent, you went on tour with Q-Tip right. and Common. Uh, what what has been kind of your biggest takeaways from working with these artists on tour? Was there anything like you didn't, you didn't, you expected from them or or didn't expect that they would yeah. do that you just kind of blew you, blew you away? I think the best thing I gained from doing all those tours was just learning how to, um, make it a job for life you know what i mean um going on my longest tour was with red and meth for 60 days you know 60 shows like every single day is a show you don't get to rest you gotta as soon as you're done you get off the stage you drive to the next state because it takes 18 hours and then you gotta be on stage again you know sleeping in vans and um all all of the grind that it took to make them the star that they were, you know, before that, before I went on that tour with Common and Tip and before I went um, on the Red and Meth tour and um, these big tours, like, you look at the artist and you think, oh, I could do that, you know, until you go on the tour and you see what it takes and you're like, whoa, these people do this all year? Mm. Like, this is crazy. This is like, you don't get to really be with your family right. or have like a solid relationship with, you, you know, your kids or your or your girlfriend or whatever. It's, it's like... You're literally traveling your whole life for a good cause, but you know, but yeah, I think I learned how to be a good performer watching Red and Meth and MOP and uh, Everlast and just all these cool people that I've opened up for and shared the stage with. Um, even Kanye I shared the stage with Kanye West before. He did the Knitting Factory show with Consequence, and it's just crazy, man. Like watching all these guys, I just like learned what to do and what not to do. You. You've been in the business, and, and and I imagine the the importance of obviously the importance of the live show has gotten more important with uh, the fact we're streaming and stuff like yeah. that in terms of making in terms of making money, right? Because you have to sell merch and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, you've also released you know albums independently. What what's what what do you think the advantages are in this day and age of streaming though of of yeah. being able to release independently? Independent is the way to go. I mean, you know, if you could find somebody to put a huge back behind you and uh, and um, and get you like you know different types of money, corporate money or uh, you know big revenue streams, because there was a lot invested into you, then that's cool. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but owning your own masters in 2019, it it's 
it seems like it's a must. Mm -hmm. It's like, why would you even record a, a project now to give to someone else? It doesn't make sense. You know right. what I mean? Like, moving forward, I feel like um, you should at least own half of the master. You know, you and the label, half and half. We both have a say where it goes. We both get paid. Like, I was reading today that De La Soul... Yeah, you know they boycotting getting their music stream because then they're getting a very small percentage, like five percent or something, ten yeah. percent. It's like they're like, this is our music, you know. We've yeah. been paid you twenty five years ago, and you're still trying to, you know. Yeah. So, so stuff like that. It's like I want to avoid that when um when I'm twenty five years in the game, I would like to avoid that, you know. For the most part, I have thirty six um projects, and I own the masters on at least thirty of them. You know, yeah. mo most of my most of my stuff I own. There's there's a few where. I co-own it with another artist because we both wrote it or we, you know, that that artist produced it, whatever. So we kind of split up the stuff. But I mean, moving forward, I think it's all about owning your own masters. Uh, I want to turn to, uh, you know, your EP, the 19, 1982, uh, which features a track with the late uh, Mac Miller. Yeah. Um, when, I, when Mac Miller passed away, I was surprised, pleasantly surprised that how many artists came out and not just new school artists but like old school artists that yeah. came out just to talk about how great of a person he was and how artists when you and you're on this track obviously with him called 8292 when, when did you first hear Mac Miller spit and what were kind of your first impressions um I would have to say it was April 3rd 2010 I might I, I think the first time I heard him rap yeah. And started calling me and was like, yo, I might have this kid on the radio tonight. Listen. So I listened. He killed the freestyle. That's it. Excuse me. That same night, he was like, yo, come to New York tomorrow. I'm going to be in the studio with Mac. I think you guys will sound good together. I'm going to put you guys in the lab together. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I got stuff to do. He was like, yo, trust me, bro. This kid is, you know, he's going to be big. It's worth the trip. Yeah. So I said, all right. I stopped everything I was doing. Got in the car. Drove to New York. Met the kid. He was really cool. Um, at this point, I believe he was 18. And um, his mixtape Kids had just dropped like a couple of days before that. So, um, yeah, we were chilling. And, uh, you know, he was like, all right, what's the beat? We did two joints in the studio live, going back and forth with each other, bugging out, laughing, smoking, drinking, you know, just having a good time, man. And that youthfulness that him and his, his team had, they were still happy to be in it. They were still excited. And we were too, so... You know, it was just a great studio session, a great memory. Mac was a friend of mine. It's it's really uh, really sad that he passed, but like you said, it's really dope how many people showed him that love. Yeah. Even that he got nominated for a Grammy and all that stuff. It was like, cool, man. You know, it was dope. Uh, you have a great line in it. Uh, you said uh, Mac was born in '92, but he rhymes like he's from '82. Yeah. Uh, what was about him that gave him that kind of '82 vibe? Well, he was rhyming like Big L. Like he was rhyming like. You know, like pun, he was rhyming. And then when I say that, I mean like with the rapid fire mm -hmm. flow, with the punchlines. And he actually told me in Status Backyard, he was like, yo, my two favorite rappers is Terminology and Big Pun. I mean, Big L, pardon. You know, he he told Static that, and then Static was like, yo, you heard what he said? So he told me. So it, w it felt really dope that I inspired him. You know what I'm saying? Awesome. And, and yeah, when I good. finally got on the track with him, I heard it. I heard the inspiration, the same inspiration I got. Like, he, he might have been inspired by Big L. I might have been inspired by Coogee uh, Rap. But it's really all the same, okay. the same thing. Uh, on your track, Are You Sure, is, is your ode to New York City. Yeah. Uh, and you, you kind of mentioned it before. What was it about New York City that kind of helped you grow as an artist and kind of get over that, 
I guess I don't know if you got over a hump, but yeah. It, well, you get you know when you're from a small city, you you think that that city is what the world is. You know, what I mean that's all you've seen. So once you come to New York and you realize that you might be the man on your block or in your neighborhood, but when you come to New York, you're like a little speck. You know, what <laughs> right, I mean, yeah, you're not yeah. even you can't even get in the club sometimes. You know, what I mean, because that's how that's how irrelevant you are. You realize how much work you have to do and um, how hard you're going to have to work. You know what I mean to to get where you you're going, and it's very motivational because daily you're you're around people that have so much more than you. You know what I'm saying, whether it be accolades or money, um, fame, whatever it is that you're looking for. You know, New York has a whole bunch of successful people, so just you know, if you're aiming to be successful, this is a great place to be. Uh, one thing I like about you, and uh, what all my friends like about you, is that you don't stick to one style. Your flow varies from you could go slow on one slow on one track to kind of fast on another track, such as the track um, "No Competition" featuring Annoyed. Yeah. Um, what are the challenges for you uh, changing flows, um, and why? Like, why do you do it? There's no challenge. <clears throat> it's like what I do. You know what I mean? Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> there's no challenge. Um, the only challenge is that those type of rhymes take a long time. Mm. No competition probably took me like six hours. Wow. Whereas I've written other rhymes that you might have heard in maybe 15 minutes. You know, that's the only challenge is that, that it takes a long time to, to write a level at that, mm. at that, a rhyme at that level, you know, where that particular rhyme switched the switch like eight times. You know, swear right. got it in the competition. Trying to treat me like I'm not on top of my position. But I'll tell them, but let's kill them, hit them up, hang us, got about random guns and ammo, drugs and vets. So you go from bone thugs and harmony to yeah. now you're singing, to now you're talking, you're rapping. So just that, like, takes a long time to pen, but there's really no challenge um, behind the songwriting of it because that's just what I do, right. just rap. That's amazing. Uh, you've done, I think, 36 projects, you said? Yeah, 36. Uh, for, someone, for someone who can't write a lyric to save his life... <laughs> Uh, who's been trying to for years uh where do you find the time I and mean, where do you draw the inspiration from I, I know you you know you mentioned the bus writing lyrics but where do you uh, yeah how do you have time to to write <laughs> um it's a passion man it's i vent i vent doing it uh i wrote a rhyme last night i was like this close to not finishing it because i was just having you know i'm standing there for 10 20 minutes and I'm stuck on the same word. I'm like, all right, what rhymes with this? What rhymes with this? For 10 minutes, 20 minutes, you know, most people would give up. But like, oh, it's not coming to me. You know, I, I don't give up. I just either A, I'll just record it on my phone real quick and write it down and put it aside and come back to it. Or or B, I'll force myself to finish it. I'll be like, no, nah, just do it because when it's done, you're going to be very proud. You're going to be happy with the result, you know. And uh, I think just pushing yourself to be the best writer you can be that's it you know what i mean keep pushing keep listening to everything else that's out and make sure you don't sound nothing like it mm -hmm. but stay current with the time now the thing is are you writing with is is is, is it always the, the 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 point is that it will be released on a track or do you just sometimes just write to basically any of the personal stuff just kind of like yeah. write, write lyrics that you know are not going to be released you just want to I like for them to, I would like for all of them to be released, but sometimes after I write them, I'm like, uh, no, nah, this ain't it. Or, you know, maybe it's not good enough, or maybe I'm like, uh, somebody might feel some type of way about this one. You know, I got a little too personal on this one, so I'll shelf it. 
mm-hmm. you know. But I very rarely shelf lyrics. I just I be letting that shit fly. <laughs> I'm like whatever. <laughs> okay, anybody feels. <laughs> Uh, anything you could share with us in terms of the, what you were writing last night? Last night, uh, what did I write last night? Last night was, um, I think last night was like a song about selling drugs. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. It, just, it just had that vibe to it that it was just like, it felt like that old 70s hustler, I'm on the block, I'm gonna get it type shit, you know? So that kind of comes easy to me because I'm from Lawrence. It's, it's, you know, it's a poor right. poverty you know, stricken place. So it's like, that's what I seen growing up. It's easy for me to identify with, we're writing those themes. Mm. Uh, a couple of, couple of more questions. Uh, so what, a couple of real quick questions. Um, yeah, no rush. What is your absolute favorite part of being MC? Um, my favorite part is, I guess the reaction from people, whether it's in the crowd, you know, when you're rhyming and, and you see people's face get excited when the, a song comes on, they like, or you see them spitting the lyrics. Um, you know, naturally, as a man, it feels good to see, like, women, you know, liking the music, too. That's cool. Um, we all remember those days in high school where we liked all the hot girls and they didn't <laughs> like us back, you know? So it feels good to be at the shows and not all the girls are like, oh, you know what I mean? So that's cool. Those are, like, you know, some things I like a lot. A lot um, to get a little deeper than that, that's just more like the, the fun shit. But, like, to get a little deeper than that, I teach a lot of people with my rhymes. Mm. They hit me up like, man, when you said this, I started moving different. Like, you really helped me, man. Thanks. So. You got that one line. That shit really hit me. When you said boom, 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 or, yo, you know what? I went through the same exact thing with my father or with my kid. Or, you know, when I really hit people with the jewels and they love it. And they listening to it, and they're sending um, videos via Instagram, and and um and commenting, you know, a million fire emojis, and yeah. don't stop, you're yeah. the goat, you know, all that type of stuff. That really fuels the fire, cause I'm like, I'm like, alright, cool, you know, everybody gets to a point where like, alright, am I done? Is my mm-hmm. career done? Do I go sit on the bench and let the new guys rock? Right, yeah. You know, when do you hang hang up the jersey? Um, so it it does get a little bit like. It does get a little bit like iffy at some point. Like, damn, should I quit? Like, should I have I said all that I have to say? Right. And then when you put out a song and people rock with it, you're like, nah, I'm good. I'm gonna <laughs> keep going. Uh, what's your absolute favorite part of hip hop culture? Oh man, just the music, man. You know what I mean? I love the fashion. I love. I used to dance. I used to do graffiti. I make beats. Um, I own turntables. I collect records. I'm just a hip hop all around. I live, breathe, walk, sleep you know live hip-hop and uh i guess lastly is there a i kind of asked you this earlier but i'm gonna ask you again is there a lyric or line that you've written in your career that kind of has that you that you know that has you kind of be like ah this is one of my favorite things i ever wrote yeah man it was it was you know looking back on it it was kind of like some risky a risky thing to say but i think the opening line to watch how i go down really set a bar for who i wanted to be it was like i see myself as the holy resurrection of pun if i ain't that then you name one rapper that's lyrical slash latin so it was kind of like you know i was proclaiming myself as you know at that point which i felt like i was the most lyrical rapper in the game that was of latin descent since pun passed you know what i mean and um I just kind of like proclaimed myself like, nah, this is it. You know what I mean? I thought Pun was the nicest. And when Pun died, I felt like I was the nicest. And there was a whole bunch of other dope MCs coming up at the same exact mm-hmm. time. 
you know what I mean, as me. And I and I still think they're all super dope and it's nothing but love for them, but that's just how I felt. So, you know, a lot of times I would bump into people and they'd be like, Holy Resurrection the Pun. I'd go to the show, they'd be screaming it all over Europe. Still. You know, Holy Resurrection the Pun. Some people didn't like it. Some people's like, yo, you're not the next pun. I'm, you know, whatever, take it the wrong way. But for the most part, people identified with what I was trying to say. I was just trying to keep Pun's name alive and hold him at a standard and then also hold myself at a standard. Like, all right, this is the best and I want to try to be the best. Uh, Straight Lears is amazing MC amazing artists uh, terminology thank you so much for being on the library with Tim Anika thanks for having me BP added more than 70 billion dollars to the US economy in 2022 Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate.